Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we left the last episode having a conversation about the Mass, specifically about the the liturgy of the Eucharist. And I wanted to continue within that conversation about the congregation's role in that part of the prayer of the Mass. Um, particularly about when we say we are not worthy for you to enter under our roof. And I guess that in itself can be interpreted many ways. Um, You know, growing up, I I thought of it as physically entering my physical body, but entering here into adulthood, maybe it's the profession I chose, but I actually think about my physical house. And we read in the Bible all over the place where Jesus is going into people's houses and, 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 you know, being in that very nature. So I wanted to to just start with that emphasis because that's where the congregation is is directly acknowledging that we're not worthy and and to go from there, why we do it, the importance of it, and how it flows within the mass and ultimately with our relation with Christ. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, just to remind our listeners about the structure of the mass. Again, it consists of two main parts, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. The Liturgy of the Eucharist starts with an offertory and then moves into the Eucharistic prayer. And the center of the Eucharistic prayer are the words of consecration. We talked about all that in a previous podcast. And then after the words of, after the Eucharistic prayer is the communion rite. And the communion rite starts with the Our Father and then follows with... uh, a little uh, prayer with uh, uh, that the the priest offers, then optionally a kiss of peace, and then the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. And after that, the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. And then the, everybody, including the priest, responds, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. That's the literal translation from the Latin, Domine non sum dignus ut intre subtectum meum. Subtectum meum is under my roof. Uh, But only say the word and uh, and my soul shall be healed. Uh, And under my roof was not part of the translation in 1970 and was recovered or uh, the the more literal translation was introduced in 2011 with that revision of the Roman Missal. And it's a quote from the centurion who asked that Jesus would come and heal his servant. And Jesus said, sure. He goes with them and he says, no, no, I'm a man under authority. And I know that you are a man of authority and uh, only say the word and my servant shall be healed. He says, I'm not worthy that you should enter into my house, come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. So he knows that Jesus can do action at a distance. He just needs to say the word and the centurion trusts that that authority carries on at a distance. It doesn't require physical presence. So, we're in some way remembering that as a church. And then 
uh, as a church, we sort of took that up and made that a personal prayer. Jesus praised the faith of the centurion at that moment. Never, nowhere in Israel have I seen such faith. That's pretty high praise that Jesus gives the centurion. And so we, we take the words of the centurion on our own lips and we apply them to ourselves. We say, my soul instead of my servant. But otherwise, it's an exact quote from the scriptures. And the, the original context was, as you mentioned, Joe, the receiving into our house, into our physical dwelling place, our abode, uh, because the centurion was talking about Jesus entering into his house and recognizing that he's unworthy of that. We talk about the, the roof, since we're talking about our soul being healed rather than our servant, your original idea of entering into our body um, is, is certainly applicable. And we might think of the roof of our mouth. We use that language, enter into the beneath the roof of my mouth to come into my mouth that way and, and ultimately come into my body, into the, the dwelling place that is me. And then we can also think of our, our physical house, as you uh, very insightfully observed, that entering into our physical home is something that Jesus also wants to do. And by entering into our body and we entering into our home, he is de facto also entering into our homes. And so that's a, a very real thing that we're recognizing there. And you're right, the... Uh, the humility is is really important. I can tell you in in these days, as I've been celebrating mass on uh, a, a live stream broadcast, just I and one other priest offering that mass, really for the sake of the faithful, uh, I'm very aware of how many people would love to be receiving Jesus at that moment, and they're not. Many, many who are watching, many others who are watching maybe a different mass or just not even able to watch. So for some people, it's become so painful even to uh, watch because of the pain of not receiving, of not having that closeness with Jesus, of really feeling excommunicated. I mean, in some sense, it's the, it is the effects. It's certainly not a penalty being applied to people, but the effects of excommunication are the same as what most of the faithful are going through in the, the quarantine period. And so, so I think, who am I? Why do I get to receive him now? And I really feel those words as I've been saying them. Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you under my roof. I'm not worthy to receive you into my heart, into my house. Why, why should I be able to live here with you and be with you and receive you in this physical way? sacramental way. And so I really feel that. I, I don't feel as worthy, certainly, as so many who would long to be there and are being prevented, simply prevented, forbidden, actually, uh, to come. And so I feel the, uh, yeah, the, the, the in, incongruity, the unfairness, perhaps, that, uh, that I get to be the one there. But what can I do? Well, try to receive him as worthily as I can. Try to receive him as lovingly as I can. Try to recognize that I don't deserve it. It's not uh, that I have a right in a way that other people don't, or that I deserve him in ways that other people don't, or that I'm better than other people, or anything like that. I know that very deeply, and so uh, I'm able to, to pray through that. But uh, whatever situation we're in, 
we can all feel that it's a gift. The, the presence of Christ, especially in the Eucharist and his entrance into our hearts and into our homes is really a gift. It's not something we can demand or that we have a right to in a divine sense. Now, I think we do kind of have a right in a canon law sense if we're in a state of grace, but that's another discussion for another time. Um, but anyway, certainly, in, you know, we didn't, we couldn't have demanded that Jesus come and give us the Eucharist. Uh, we didn't have a right to demand his, uh, him giving himself to us. But, so we recognize it's really a gift. And it's not a gift that I've earned. It's not a gift that I could earn. But it's a gift that I'm truly grateful for. And I never want to take it for granted. And that little prayer, which is part of every Mass, we say that in every Mass, that, that little prayer. A lot of different things change. A lot of prayers are a little different in different Masses. But that prayer stays the same. That communion right is is consistent in every mass yeah and it brings up a lot of thoughts there so so first going back to the the actual context of the scripture where it's referenced there you know there's not many times where jesus does something and the recipient of it in the in the bible doesn't be there you know the that's why crowds gathered around and people were able to see things Mm -hmm. Starting with the first miracle, he turned water into wine and people were able to physically drink it. So to have someone essentially recognize his, his commandership or authority is, is not something that comes out in the Bible. In fact, I, I was just trying to rattle through my head to think of thought. Maybe the only other spot where it's referenced is whenever the disciples tell the, the servant that when they take the meal, that, we need this and that might be the only other spot and that's kind of even implied it's not even directly spoken that that the master is willing to have it because you know i've interpreted that before that it was his master being the servant's master of the farm who had the mule and you know there's a miscommunication in his head about who was taking taking that so um and again, that might just be me being wrong with my reading of the Bible, but that's something that, that, that had come to me there. Um, but in terms of, of your point now with being able to physically receive the Eucharist in this time of quarantine, whenever really the rest of us can't, um, you know, it, it, it certainly is something, but I, there's also the benefit that you gave your life to being a priest. You know, it, it, it's that you you made choices that that allowed you to do that by becoming a priest and going through through that process and you know without you guys as we discussed in one of our episodes before none of us would be able to have the eucharist if there weren't priests so so in, in that regards obviously I want to thank you for that and and you know it's if there, if there wasn't you know one would be able to have this this ability it kind of goes without saying um and and on that note I I know that we did the episode about priesthood and why it's important. And to me, the mass has always been the, the, the shining point. It's you've said many times the Eucharist is the most important part of our faith, but also during the prayers of the Eucharist, we also say the mystery of faith. And I wanted to, um, you know, kind of turn to that point here in the episode to discuss about, why we do that and the importance of 
the mystery of faith and why we say it at the mass and particularly at that point in the mass? You know, I just uh, I just looked up a, a beautiful document uh, called the Church uh, from the Eucharist. Ecclesia de Eucharistia was written by John Paul II in uh, 2002, I believe, and he has a lot of wonderful reflections. And I I thought in particular, as you were describing the necessity of the priest for to have the mass, because it's only the priest that can pray the words of consecration well, effect, efficaciously, effectively. Um, you know, anybody can say those words, but bread and wine only become the body and blood of Christ in the hands of a priest speaking the words of consecration. So uh, you're, you're quite right that it's necessary. Priesthood is necessary for the Eucharist. And there's a beautiful section in this uh, document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, in which um, Pope John Paul talks about the, that particular point. I just want to quote that real quickly. And then as I open the document, the very first section is called the mystery of faith. So I'll use that to come back to your your uh, latest question there about the uh, the meaning of that and, and what we do about that. Um, he says, priests are engaged in a wide variety of pastoral activities. If we also consider the social and cultural conditions of the modern world, it is easy to understand how priests face the very real risk of losing their focus amid such a great number of different tasks. Second Vatican Council saw in pastoral charity the bond which gives unity to the priest's life and work. This, the council adds, flows mainly from the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is therefore the center and root of the whole priestly life. We can understand then how important it is for the spiritual life of the priest, as well as for the good of the church and the world, that priests follow the council's recommendations to celebrate the Eucharist daily. For even if the faithful are unable to be present, it is an act of Christ and the church. In this way, priests will be able to counteract the daily tensions which lead to a lack of focus, and they will find in the Eucharistic sacrifice the true center of their lives and ministry, the spiritual strength needed to deal with the different pastoral responsibilities. Their daily activity thus becomes truly Eucharistic. Uh, so really focusing on how central the Eucharist is for the life of a priest in particular. So as I was saying, uh, you know, who am I and why do I? Well, in some sense, because my whole life has been tied together with the Eucharist, um, thank God. And it's possible for priests to celebrate Mass on their own. And that's part of the reason, because really our whole lives as priests need to be Eucharistic. Now, there are some uh, members of the faithful who also have a kind of special calling into that real deep unity with the Eucharist. But I guess we could still say maybe, you know, one one shift away from where the priest who's, whose life is meaningless without it. You know, there's no, priesthood has no meaning without the Eucharist. Yeah, so it's, it's really essential. It's not actually the quote that I wanted to read. And we'll see if... Uh, Oh, he just describes so eloquently the way that in some Christian communities where they want to keep alive uh, the Eucharist but didn't have a priest with them, the practice of the faithful would be 
to come together and to pray through the mass. You know, they can do the, the liturgy of the Eucharist uh, on their own, essentially. And then coming to, uh, e even praying through the Eucharistic prayer, coming to the words of consecration would just fall silent. And that would become a, a silent prayer asking God to provide the priest who can actually speak those words of consecration in power and, and efficaciously. So really uh, such a beautiful section. I'm sorry I couldn't pull it up to, to read it directly to you, but hopefully even the description will be helpful for you. In terms of the, the mystery of faith, the question that you asked there, Joe, um, I, I can just read a little bit from John Paul II again, if you don't mind. He has chapter one is called The Mystery of Faith, paragraph 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and his blood. The words of the Apostle Paul bring us back to the dramatic setting in which the Eucharist was born. The Eucharist is indelibly marked by the event of the Lord's passion and death, of which it is not only a reminder, but the sacramental representation. It is the sacrifice of the cross perpetuated down the ages. This truth is well expressed by the words with which the assembly of the Latin rite responds to the priest's proclamation of the mystery of faith, namely, we announce your death, O Lord. So what is the mystery of faith? It, it really is the, the heart of the Christian mystery, which is the, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to say it very simply. So the faithful announce that in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer, the priest says the mystery of faith and the faithful say, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Or they say, uh, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you come again. Uh, or they say, save us, savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. So it's focused on the death and resurrection, the cross and resurrection, which is what the whole Eucharist is imprinted with. It's a representation, not just a remembrance, but it's actually making present again the fruits of that mystery of faith, of that sacrifice that Christ offered to redeem us, to save us, to sanctify us, and transform us. And so uh, that's, that's the mystery of faith that we announce in the middle of Mass. Uh, and, and that's actually a little bit of a new feature, we might say, in the since 1967, I guess, when the new mass came into effect. But um, yeah, anyway, it sort of captures the central mysteries of the Christian faith. And as I mentioned, I can't remember now, this, this uh, talk or the last talk, the Eucharist captures everything because the Eucharist contains God himself and gives to us God himself and gives, gives us God precisely in this way that he gave himself to us, tied together with that mystery of faith, which is his passion, death, and resurrection. And I, I guess this might just be a misunderstanding of where I'm coming from, because I always thought the mystery of the faith was the Trinity, that there are, th there are three gods in one person. Um, and, and that's just flat out, like I said. Three, just... three, three persons in one God. Sorry, I said again. I can't. I'm not saying everything incorrectly here today, so, so I, I I guess that that's an important emphasis as well. Is that 
Jesus took the form and, and, and gave us the Eucharist, but that is also still God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as well. It's not just just one of the persons, correct? Say, say it again, sorry. So, so the Eucharist isn't just Jesus. It's also God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as well, correct? The Eucharist is just Jesus. That's, okay. uh, yes. Yeah, so now, now Jesus is never anywhere by himself, but we're not, uh, it, it's the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. So we, we would say it, the father does not have a sacramental presence and the Holy Spirit does not have a sacramental presence. Uh, he is involved intimately in the sacraments. He is involved in everything. So, um, anyway, when we're, in some sense, receiving Jesus, we're also receiving Father, but but the Father, but specifically the the sacrament is the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, like I said, I, I thank you for teaching us here today. I know that <laughs> obviously I have have had some wrong things there I've said. And I apologize for any uh, incorrect things I said there. So I thank you for straightening me out here, and, and we thank everyone for listening. I know that today's episode is a little bit shorter than some of the other ones we've done, but we definitely thank you for listening, and, and thank you guys for telling us about um, everything out there. So, Father, I do want to give you a chance to to give us the, the last words here today before I cut you off. <laughs> when I, And I just wanted to say, Joe, how much uh... – you know, I, it's my it's my life, my ministry, and uh, you know my teaching and everything else to be precise in the language that's used because I'm using the the language of the church to give the teaching of the church, and so it's important for me to do that. Uh, and I don't by my corrections and uh, you know uh, adjustments of the things that you're saying want to disrespect at all. I know where your heart and your faith is, and I think so many of our listeners are in the same situation. They can't quite put their words together in the right place. It's like, you know, if I were talking about houses, uh, I'd be messing up. I'd be taking hammers and screwdrivers and power tools and everything else and naming things the wrong way and putting things together the wrong way, you know? So anyway, it's just my, it's my area, but, um, you know, I want to, uh, just express that there is, and, and I don't even bother to say anything unless it, you know, a lot of things are descriptive, but some things, the technical language is really critical and, and were things that were kind of fought out over centuries because it's easy to, to go astray if we start to go a little sloppy with some of these terms. And so anyway, I just um, bring out when I, when I actually take the time to adjust something that you're saying, I want our listeners also to understand that, well, that makes a difference. You know, we, we can kind of go astray if we get a little too sloppy in those, in those things. And so uh, for me, especially to express that, I think is important. Well, and I appreciate that. I'd way rather have things be done correctly than, than wrong. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be out there, you know, perpetuating something that's inaccurate. So again, I thank you for that, and and, and uh, as always, I thank you for uh, doing the cast with us as long as you have been here, Father. And we'll continue to be with you guys here again next week as well. So thank you very much. 